Hello, and welcome back to the Young Adults Bible Study Podcast. My name is Lindsay, and over the last few weeks, we have been going through Romans chapter 1. We have finally finished that, and we are now in Romans chapter 2. So thank you guys so much for being on this wonderful journey with me. And I just want to give a little bit of a recap of what we went through in Romans chapter 1. We talked about the downward spiral of sin and God giving people over to their depraved minds and people rejecting God for who he is, people being full of envy, murder, deceit, and so on and so forth. And then finally, people not only doing these things, but also approving of them. Ultimately, we were talking about the immoral person. The immoral person is the person that does what they want, when they want, and because they want to. This person steps on toes and doesn't apologize. The immoral person is the one that will live their life the way that they want to live it and not care about anyone else. And ultimately, I'm really excited to go on this journey with you guys. I'm really excited to dive into chapter 2 and see what Paul has to say. And without further ado, let's dive in to the Book of Romans. Welcome to chapter 2! We're going to switch topics a little bit from the immoral person to the moral one. There are a lot of people who are upstanding citizens that we know. And they can be in our city, in our province, and even in our country. Because sometimes our towns are crap, and we don't like to say that anyone's an upstanding citizen in our town. So, we'll, we'll give it a little bit of a stretch. But even we can be upstanding citizens, right? I mean, I know I put my cart away at Walmart, so I must be an upstanding citizen. We are moral people. I'm a moral person. I know what's right from wrong. I have a conscience. I know that I'm better than a lot of other people out there. There's a lot of people that are considered immoral. While reading about all of those awful things listed in chapter 1, I'm very thankful that I'm not like that. Thankfully, I'm better than that. I'm agreeing that God is right to give people over to their depraved minds. I mean, of course people should be judged who refuse to choose him. So, I must be doing pretty good in God's books, right? I hope you guys are being a little bit skeptical when you listen to that. Because the people that were listening to this letter, a lot of them were thinking that. And Paul was talking directly to them in this next part. Because a large portion of the crowd was doing that exact thing. They were agreeing and thanking God that they weren't like those people. Well, let's read verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Well, Paul definitely pulls the rug out from underneath us. He assumes that those listening to the letter are patting themselves on the back and being better than those who are less moral, like the ones that we talked about in chapter 1. It's literally like I did right at the beginning. I was patting myself on the back. I'm a moral person. I put my card away. I do a podcast. I do this. I do that. I'm better than them. But 
Paul is turning all this judgment that these moral people were dishing out and giving it right back to them. When we take a second to look at what these people were probably patting themselves on the back for, it was things that we can compare ourselves to, like following the law, or going to church, or giving to the needy, or tithing. These moral people were probably doing outwardly what a good person would do, and they were bragging about it. And I find that we do that too. I know that I do that. If you ask a moral person why another person is immoral, sometimes you'll say, well, because I said so. But we all know that that isn't good enough. It has to be more than that. It has to be more than, well, because I said so. Then they'll say, well, because God says so. Well, now the entire house of cards fell because if we are using God's standards to judge moral and immoral, then all of us fall short because we cannot be perfect. This is why Paul tells us, at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. And again, that was Romans 2, the second half of verse 1. If we don't use God as our standard of truth, then what do you use? What do non-believers use as their standard of truth? Is there even a standard of truth? Or is it all just, well, this is how I feel, or, well, this is what I think? Because I know that when I forget about God in the equation, which sometimes I do because I'm human, that's what I do. It's because of what I think or what I feel. It's, it's a house of cards. It's, it's all going to fall down. If there isn't a standard of truth, then there cannot be a standard of truth. Which is why I'm so very thankful that there is a standard of truth. Because there is an ultimate truth in God. And Paul is holding God's standard as the ultimate truth. And we see that in Romans 2 verse 2. It says, now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. God will judge based on facts, not perceived truth like we do. He knows our hearts. He knows our minds. He knows our actions. God can see what we do in the dark. He can see what we do away from people. He can see what we do outside of the church, outside of our church friends, in our bedrooms. God will judge everyone based on truth and not perception. The moral person is judging based off of the outward perception and what is known to them. But God is judging based off of truth and what he knows, which is so much more. Paul asks a very important rhetorical but needed to be asked question. He says, So when you a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? And that's Romans 2 verse 3. We are nothing more than human. Paul cracks down and puts both the moral and the immoral in the same sinking boat, because we are. We're in a sinking boat of sin. Sometimes it's easy to think that when you do good things, 
you are in better standing than those that don't. But we give money to the Salvation Army and look down on those that need the Salvation Army to survive day to day. We volunteer at the food bank, but look down on those that have addictions and need to use the food bank. We are all guilty of looking down on people because that's just not right or they did this just to be sinful. They're so sinful. They're such sinful people. It our churches. If someone came in drunk, it would be the talk of the congregation for weeks. And if it was made known that someone had an affair, they would be pushed out of the church because, well, it's a sin. We can't allow that in here. Paul is saying that we are all human and that we are all subject to God's judgment. No one is safe from it. I've definitely heard people talking about a immoral person and saying, God is punishing him for what he's doing. He's sick because of the sin in his life. He has this taken away from him because this is what he's doing in his private life. This is what he's doing in his home. He's wrecking his family and God is punishing him. And maybe this is the case. Maybe that is God's wrath coming down on him. But what about us that don't see that or some people that don't see that? We must not be that bad if God's not giving us his wrath, right? Well, what does Paul say? In verse 4, Paul goes on to say, Or do you show it contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Again, when I go into a verse, the first questions that I ask myself is, is there any words that I don't know? Is there anything that I don't understand? Is there something that I need to understand about this verse that isn't given to me directly? And the one word that I was a little bit confused about is the word contempt. Contempt means that the feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration, worthless, or deserving scorn. So basically, if you want to reword this verse a little bit, you can read it as, do you think God's kindness, patience, and willingness to hold back his wrath is pointless and beneath you? Wow, Paul, that is definitely a hard hitter. That is a question that hits you right in the soul. It is like a knife that has stabbed you in the stomach seven times. Ouch. Paul told these people very openly that they were trading God's mercy because they thought they didn't need it. And I think we do that too. I know that we don't openly say, okay, God, I don't need your mercy, but we sometimes take it for granted. We push it off to the side and we feel like we're above it almost, like we don't need it. It's like, okay, God, I'm doing pretty good this week. I don't need you this week. Or, okay, God, today I didn't mess up. I, I don't think I need you today. And again, like, I know that these aren't, like, physical formed thoughts, but they are kind of there. We do think that we did pretty good on our own some days. And that's just pushing God's mercy away. That's saying that we don't need it. This verse uses three words that are describing God's riches. When we look at these words individually, it's easy to see why Paul thinks that these are God's riches. These are three things that God gives us that we do not deserve. God's kindness, God's forbearance, and God's patience. Let's look at each one of these words individually. 
Let's start out with the first one, God's kindness. A lot of people talk about God's wrath, and even in this young adults group, we talk about God's wrath a lot, mostly because that's basically what these verses have been about. But what about his kindness? God's kindness is basically when he holds back his wrath and consequences of sin in order to allow you to repent. He is showing you his goodness rather than his wrath, even when we don't deserve it. In the Greek, this is the same word that is used when Mary anointed Jesus' feet and when Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus showed a loving gentleness, which is basically what his, God's kindness is, is a loving gentleness. Paul, in using this word, is basically saying, you are simply trying to take advantage of the great kindness of God. Taking advantage of God's kindness. Wow. Talk about selfish. We are such selfish people that even God's kindness we try to use for ourselves. Instead of looking towards God and saying, thank you, we are selfish about it. We are taking it advantage of it. The next word is forbearance. And forbearance means patient, self-control, restraint, and tolerance. So what does it mean when we talk about God's forbearance? This word in the Greek means a truce, but a little bit deeper than that. It means an end of hostility, but it has a limit. So when Paul uses the word forbearance, he's mostly saying, you guys think that you are safe because you're still alive and God didn't pour out his wrath on you yet. But God isn't allowing you free range to sin. He is giving you an opportunity to repent from your sins and ask for forgiveness. People can't sin forever with no consequences. But the people in this time were thinking that there were no consequences for them. They took God's forbearance as allowing them to sin without consequence. But that's not reality. That's not how God works. Because if God didn't give a consequence for sin, then that's not just. That's not righteous judgment. That's not right. And as we know, God is perfect. God is just. And the only way that we can go without God's wrath is by looking towards Jesus, because Jesus already took that for us on the cross. He already took that consequence. I asked in a previous episode if we become so comfortable in our sin that we forget it's sin. But do we also become so comfortable in our sin that we think that there are no consequences or that we think that no consequences will come? Because there will be consequences for any sin, even if we don't see it right away. And that's the only way that God can be a just God. God is allowing us time to repent from our sin without the consequence of death. And if you don't repent and turn from your sin, your consequence will be death. Ultimately, becoming comfortable in our sin just leads us into that downward spiral that we were talking about in chapter 1. We were talking about that wrath against sinful humanity. 
And God gave them over to those depraved minds. And if we become comfortable in our sin, that's a mind game. That's something that we're becoming comfortable in because we're allowing ourselves to be comfortable in it. We need to pray that we do not become comfortable in sin. If you are comfortable in a sin, I truly hope that you are praying to God that you become uncomfortable in that sin and that God shows you what that sin is for what it truly is. And that is walking away from him. It is death. That sin that you keep committing is death. It is a sin against God. It is going against God. And it is ultimately not in his perfect plan. He has a perfect plan for you. And sinning, sure, it can be great for a while. It can be fun for a while. It can feel good for a while. But then you need more and you crave more. And ultimately, you become more and more comfortable with doing it. And again, I just pray so hard that you guys don't find yourselves comfortable with your sin. And that if you are, I please, please pray that you become uncomfortable with it and that it is revealed to you for what it is. This leads us directly into our next word, patience, God's patience. This word in the Greek almost directly translates to patience with people. Because God holds back his wrath, people take it as, God won't punish me. But this is the opposite of what Paul is saying to the moral person, to us. Paul is essentially saying, just because God has not punished you yet, do not think that he cannot punish you or will not punish you. Just because God does not punish you immediately after you sin is not proof of powerlessness, but proof of his patience. We owe our lives to the patience of God. What would happen if God punished us every single time that we sinned? There would be a lot less people coming to God because all we would see is his wrath. All we would see is his anger and frustration and his judgment. But because of these three words, because of his kindness, his forbearance, and his patience, we see that he wants us to come to him. We see that he is good, that he is kind. He wants us to come to him. He wants to save us. He wants us to turn from awful ways that leads to death, and he wants to give us life. If we got punished every single time, there would be significantly more death. There would be pain. There would be sorrow. It would be hard to come to God willingly because we would be punished every time that we sin. If your parents punished you to the extent you deserved it every single time that you went against them or did something wrong, you would probably grow to resent and hate them because you would see their anger and wrath more than their love and patience with you. And that's God. He is a good, good father. He is a father and he loves us. When we go through these three words, we should see the goodness of God and understand that God has been better to us than we could ever deserve. God has been so good to us. We have been so sinful. We have rejected him. We have blasphemed him. We have thrown him in the dirt. 
but he is so good to us. And God has shown us kindness when we've ignored him. God has shown us kindness when we have mocked him. God is not a cruel master that whips us into shape. We can safely surrender to him. We can safely go to him. There's a picture of us under his wing. He is safety. He is our fortress. God is perfectly willing to forgive us when we don't deserve it. And God should be served out of simple gratitude because God is so good and he has done so many things for us that we don't deserve. And because he's doing these things that we don't deserve, we should give thanks to him. We should give praise to him. And that is what this is about. This is about us turning towards him. If a parent doesn't give us the consequence that we deserve, there are two things that you can do. Either you can go on continuing to do that thing, thinking that there will be no more consequence, or you can be so thankful. And honestly, that's the way that we need to take. We should be so thankful. We should look at him and be, thank you, God, for not sending your wrath on me right now. Thank you, God, for being patient with me. Thank you, God, for giving me your kindness that I do not deserve. We need to go to God with thanksgiving constantly because we do not deserve the life that we have right now. We do not deserve to have the things that we have. We do not deserve to have the life that we have. We do not not deserve to be living right now. The sin consequence is death. And man, we sin. So we should have so much death. But God has saved that from us. God has held that back. And he is saving us from that own, our own wrath that we are storing up. And we'll dive into that in just a few minutes here. But these things are to lead us to repentance. So often we think of repentance as giving up sin in our life, but it's so much more than that. It's not just about subtracting something from our life, but it's adding Jesus to our life. You are turning away from sin and turning towards Christ, towards Jesus, towards our Savior, Repentance is often referred to as a 180 or turning around or going the opposite way or the other way. And I even refer to this sometimes. It's, it's a common reference, but it's not simply just turning away from sin. It's not simply just cutting the sin out of your life and that's it. That's all going right back to where you were before you started sinning. No, it, it's, it's more than that. It's turning towards Jesus It's putting him right there, front and center in your life. It's turning away from a sinful way and towards Jesus. Because we could be almost perfect humans and still not be good enough. Because we don't have Jesus. If you don't turn towards Jesus, you have nothing. So what's the point of just turning away from sin? Just walking the other way, walking back the way that you were. You need to turn towards something. It's not just turning away from something, it's turning towards something. And it's turning towards Jesus, towards Christ. 
Paul sums all of this up that we talked about today in verse 5, writing, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Again, that's Romans 2, verse 5. Basically, what is happening is there is a giant dam that is filling up with wrath. And we are storing it up for ourselves. There's this this giant dam. I don't know if you guys ever been to a big dam that holds back water, but they can be huge. And I know I always wonder how they build them so then that it will actually keep that much water. Because I know even carrying a five pound or a five gallon pail of water is heavy. I hate it. It's awful. I can't imagine having a whole bunch of water stored up behind a dam, but they build it so then that it actually uses it against itself so then that it creates a stronger. But anyway, there's this giant dam and every single time we sin, we are putting more and more wrath behind this dam. And one day that dam is going to break and it is going to come out and it is going to destroy us. With every single sin, we are filling it up more and more and more. And that one day, it will just let loose and God's judgment will be revealed. But the dam itself, what is the dam itself? God. God is the one holding back the wrath from us. He is holding back the wrath that we are storing up. He is protecting us. But that can't last forever. One day, his judgment will come and God will repay each person according to what they have done, as it is said in verse 6. When Paul says this, when Paul says God will repay each person according to what they have done, which he is quoting Psalm 62.12 and Proverbs 24.12, I think that's just a cool little note, but Paul is talking about what they have done which is talking about their works, which I find very interesting because we know that we aren't saved by our works, right? Of course, we're not saved by our works. But the things that we have done in our lives is what we will be repaid by. Hmm. It sounds awesome at first. It's like, hey, I've been a pretty decent person. I've got this. Because when I look at my life, it's like, yeah, I've been pretty good. Like, I I give to some charities, and, and I do a little volunteering here, and I've worked with some youth groups, and right now I'm running a young adults Bible study, and I'm doing pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. On the outside, I'm doing some good works right now. Like, if, if this is actually how it's going to go, if we are judged by our works, I'm doing okay. But it's also about our sinful actions. So it's not just about our works. We're we're not saved by our works, of course, but we are judged by them. And when we take into our account our sinful actions too, sure, we might look like an awesome person, but when you start weighing them and you start actually looking at your life, then, then you start becoming a little scared. Your heart starts beating a little bit and you're like, oh, oh. And you can be a good person in your heart and do awful things, right? So we try to cover it up, like like lying. Uh, I know I lied, but it was pre- 
to, it was to protect them from being hurt. They, I didn't want to tell them they had spinach in their teeth, so I, I lied and said that it was fine, that they didn't have anything, because I knew that they would be embarrassed. Well, no, it, it's still lying. Or it, it can be the opposite. You can do great things. You can be an awesome person on the outside, but you can have the worst heart and do things for prideful and selfish reasons. And God doesn't just take into account your heart when you're doing things. He also takes into account your actions, which is exactly what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about the things that we have done. In the first coming of Jesus, these three things that define God's mercy, those three words that we talked about, God's mercy, were very much revealed with a great emphasis. So like when Jesus came... We, we've seen the kindness, the love, the forbearance, the mercy, the grace, the patience. We've seen that in his life, right? But it's the second coming that we will see the emphasis put on his wrath and his judgment. And we have to understand that when we talk about his wrath and his judgment, we, we aren't safe from that. Unless we got Jesus, we're, we're not safe. We're not safe at all. And we can see that all through the Bible. Like, if you are not focused on God, you're you're gonna get it. Like, what ways do we see that contrasted in the Bible? Um, with Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit, and God showed His mercy. He didn't kill them. He didn't give them death, but at the same time, He did. So He showed the mercy. He showed them his love, and he showed them that side of him, but he also showed the consequences. He also showed his wrath. But also, like, when we look at Noah and his family, his Noah and his family were saved. They were shown love and mercy, but the rest of the world had God's wrath. Or what about Lot and his wife and Sodom? It, well... He, even when he was begging God, like, eh, maybe 10 people, if there's 10 righteous people, will you save the city? Like, God, he was, Lot was bargaining with God, but God still showed him mercy and love. God still showed him patience. Ooh, he showed him patience. I, I wouldn't want to deal with that guy. Even reading it, I started to get impatient. I was like, really, really, Lot? Like, just, just cut your losses here. Just go with the lowest number you've got and just give it to God and see if you'll take it. But that's that's not me. God God did that. So I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful God has patience. Um but he did. God showed that side to Lot and his wife, but he still he still showed his wrath. He still showed the consequences. And that's for us too. If we don't have God, if we don't choose him, we choose the consequences. And it's pretty much just that simple. You can either choose him or not him. Those are those are the two choices you have in life, either him or not him. And you have to choose that every single day of your life. You have to choose that every single thing in your life. And the, I know this sounds like a little bit of a rabbit trail, which I can be really bad for, but it directly relates to what Paul says in 7 and 8, because Paul is still contrasting God's love and God's wrath in these two verses. So it says, To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, 
he will give eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Again, that's Romans 2, 7 and 8. If any person could truly do what is good all on his own and never sin, not even once, we could get into heaven. Sure, we could. On our own strength, we could get to heaven if we never sinned. Not once. But this isn't really the case. It's not possible because we are self-seeking. We reject the truth and, and we follow evil. You might say, well, no, I'm not. But every single one of us can think of a minimum of one sin that we've committed, probably even within the last week. We simply cannot be without sin. If you think of a little child, do we have to teach them how to sin? Like, do they truly sin because they watch us? Or do they sin because they're actually sinful little devils? Like, think about a two-year-old. They sin. Like, they lie to you. What do you have behind your back? Nothing. Like, they sin. This little two-year-old, they sin. And I promise you, I did not teach them that. And I hope that you didn't teach them that either. Like, it's just something that they know. It's something that is hardwired in us. It's it's our sinful flesh. It, we're born into it. We simply cannot be without sin. Because of this, God's wrath and judgment must come down. There isn't an escape from it. There is no escape. Not right now, there's not. If you have no Jesus, then you got nothing. There is no way that you can escape the wrath of God and his judgment. And if that is you today, I am scared for you. I am truly 100% scared for you. And it's a choice. It's 100% a choice. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not like, you should believe because God's wrath is coming. The end is coming. No, I'm, I want what's best for you. I love you. Whoever is listening to this, I hope you know that. I hope you know that I genuinely love you guys. It's, and not just as a listener, like, hey, you're supporting me. That's great. Thank you so much for loving me. But no, you are a human being on the other side listening to this through headphones or on your computer or through an earbud or however you're listening to it, it, I love you. And just please, please know that I do not want you to experience God's wrath and judgment. I do not want anyone to experience God's wrath and judgment. There are so many people in this world that will, and I truly hope that you're not one of them. But... If we continue on in Romans 2, 9 to 11, Paul says, There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. We all gonna get it. Every single one of us. Unless you have Jesus. So why the Jew first and then the Gentile if God doesn't show favoritism? Because it it literally says that. It says Jews, then Gentile, and then it says does not show favoritism. 
that used to always get me as well as growing up when I wasn't really following my faith. I was always like, well, that doesn't make sense. I don't get that. So I usually just ignored it and continued on. And I think that's what a lot of people do. A lot of people just like, eh, I don't understand. I'm just going to move on to something that I do understand. Which, did you know, that this is going to be a little study tip, but when you're studying, about 75% of what you study is what you already know. You almost never study what you don't know because it's hard and you don't know it. So if you don't know it, it's harder to study. So you usually just skip it to the stuff that you do know. So when you're reading your Bible, I very, very much encourage you that if you don't know something, if if you need to put a question mark beside it, or if it's something that's like, well, that just doesn't make sense, Google it. Please, please Google it. Like when you're reading your Bible, even if you're just like not studying it, like if you're not going word for word or verse for verse and like actually studying it, if you're just reading it and you have a question, Google it. I know that Google can sometimes be a little funky, but I promise you there will be something there that will help you. Or if you're on our subreddit, you can literally just post it there and somebody will help you. I will help you. I love helping people. But please, 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 please Google it because the best thing that you can do is ask why. If you don't ask why while you are reading your Bible or studying your Bible, you will never grow deeper. You will never get further in your faith if you do not ask the question why. So if you find something that you don't necessarily understand, please dive into it. But back to this. If the Jewish people are first in line for the gospel, which it says in Romans 1.16, here, let's just read Romans 1.16 here. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Okay, so Jewish people are first in line for the gospel. Okay, makes sense, because they got Jesus who is a Jew, and they also had the Torah and people who are Jews and teachers who are Jews. So they, they got it first. Okay, makes sense. And the first in line for reward, and that's Romans 2.10. Let's just read that quick. It says, But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Okay, yeah. The reward. So first they get the gospel. Then they get the reward. So if they are first in line for the gospel and first in line for their reward, because God is a just God, they are also first in line for judgment. This doesn't mean that Gentiles are free from God's wrath. We, like, I assume that most of the people listening, blanket statement, are Gentiles. I don't think I have any Jews listening. I don't know. If you are, good. Well, not good, because you might get judged first. But if you're a Jesus-believing person, then okay. But if you are a Gentile person, this does not mean that you don't get God's wrath. It just means that we get it second. And we need to know this and remember this, because we are not exempt from this. We have wrath being stored up against us, just like they do. There is no favoritism. We are all getting it. Every single person 
that does not turn towards Jesus is getting it. This definitely sounds very bleak. It, it sounds awful. It sounds muddy. We are up to our neck in mud and we cannot get out. We are sinful humans. And basically that's what we looked at today. We are sinful and we cannot get out of it. We cannot do anything on our own other than mess things up and sin. And even if we think we know better than to sin, we still fall into sin. If we are a moral person that knows what is right and what is wrong, if we have a wonderful conscience, we still fall into sin. We are still subject to judgment. And I start off the beginning of this feeling pretty good about being a decent human and caring about others, but we definitely learned that that is not enough. It is not enough just to be a decent human with good morals. Even if we feel like we are the good moral people compared to the immoral, like we talked about last episode, we are still neck deep in this mud. There definitely looks to be no hope, hey? But honestly, the next episode is going to drag us through the mud even further. So I hope you come back because we are not only going to be neck deep in mud, we're going to be covered in mud. We are not going to be able to breathe because there is so much mud. But there is still hope. There is still Jesus. And when we get to chapter 3, you will see that there is a shining light in the darkness. There is a way to escape the mud. And we seemingly cannot escape it the way that we are. But bear with me for a few more episodes in order to get there, because we will get there. We will get to the point where, okay, maybe there is some light. Maybe there is some soap. Maybe we're not just this awful human being that's a sinful meat sack, because that's just awful. It's muddy. It's gross. It's sin. Sin is gross. It's like tar. It sticks on everything, and it won't go away, and it's... My boyfriend and I went to this, it's a creepy Jesus shrine. It's like half an hour out of where my parents live. And, um, I don't really know what denomination made it. And it was definitely, God definitely had his hand in it, but then there was definitely humanness in it. There were some things that were a little funky. So I call it the creepy Jesus shrine. Like it, it's there. It tells the Jesus story. It's really neat and cool, but it's, it's weird. Um, but we went there and they just laid brand new, uh, asphalt down and they, they put it there with tar and it, we, we took my boyfriend's Miata because he has a Miata and he loves that little car and we drove and it got all over like the, um, not really the, not the rims, um, the outside, the outside of the car. It got on the outside of the car and he had to scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub. I still think that there's some on there, but it does not come off. So it is like that. Sin is like that. You cannot get clean. Mm -mm. But wait until chapter three. I will see you guys then. And until then, have a good week and a very Merry Christmas because it is almost Christmas. It is December 20th right now. And I'm so excited for Christmas. I don't get to see my parents because of COVID. I don't get to see my siblings because of COVID. I don't get to see anyone really. And the Regina, where I live, is 
going to be on lockdown for Christmas and they're handing out tickets if you go anywhere unless you are a single person household and I have a roommate so I am not a single person household so I'm not allowed to go anywhere so I will probably have grilled cheese for Christmas lunch or I'm going to do the exact opposite and go all out I am not a half in half out type person I am either all in or all out so I guess we'll see so I hope you guys have a very Merry Christmas and I hope everything goes very well if you want to email me you can do so at young adults what is our email young adults Bible study dot pc at gmail.com there it is so if you have any questions, you can definitely email me there. If you just want to say hi or Merry Christmas, you can do that there. If you want to tell me where you live and where you're tuning in from, that would be great. I won't stalk you, I promise. And I won't tell anyone on the air where you live, but I might read your email. I might give you a shout out. Have a great night, guys, and we will see you next week. Bye for now. Bye.